So this is a this is a doozy, because as we've been talking about self-control for all now that we're talking topical, we're talking you know controlling certain things in our lives. Today we're going to talk about disciplining our tongue, disciplining our words, disciplining the things that we say, um, and that's a huge thing for all of us. I don't think any of us would say not a problem. <laughs> Tammy's already laughing. <laughs> I don't know that any of us would say. I don't know. It's never a problem for me. I just, it's just all flowers and roses and I just don't ever over speak. I don't know if anyone would be able to say that. And I was thinking about this morning when, when I first wrote this study, I don't know that, I mean, it was five or six years ago. So social media was not, it was around, but it wasn't quite like I feel like it is today. So we're going to include in tongue, we're going to add fingers into that. (laughs) Because I think for many of us, our voice has changed. Our voice can be with our words, but it also can be what what we are saying, the things that we are texting, the things that we are posting, um, for all of those things, our, our tongues controlling our words in general is a struggle for all of us. And I think we are, we can be very quick to point it out in other people and to be like, oh, what? That always just, why would they say something like that? And yeah. <laughs> and then for us, but yet we are always kind of like, oh, well, it wasn't a big deal. And um, this was one of the really strong areas that the Lord began to convict me on when I was first, first kind of diving into this was because I would have the moment always right before I would say something or share a story or um, speak a critical word about someone or something. And I would always have that moment where we've talked about the Holy Spirit kind of quickens you like, uh, if I should say that. And my problem wasn't that I wasn't questioning whether or not it was the right thing to say. My question was in those moments, I would slough off. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And I found myself so often going, it's not a big deal. And so I was realizing it wasn't a matter of knowing whether it was a good thing to say or not. My problem was in the self-control of in that moment choosing to hold my tongue. It's like, it's like for somehow, it's like the words, if I could draw a little bubble, it's like that they're just like pushing their way out. Like I had no control over stopping them, even if I knew that I shouldn't say them, you know, and that can be to a friend. It could be to my husband when I'm thinking, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not, I'm not, it's really driving me crazy, but I'm not going to say it. And it's like, I had no control. Eventually it's just going to come out. And even if I'd been really good for five hours, the moment that I had like the slightest bit of weakness and like he did something to really irritate me, then it was like, boom, it just shot right out of there. And it's like, oh man. And so this is a huge area where I would say, I have a hard time controlling myself when it comes to this. So we are going to look at what the Bible says about controlling our tongue because amazingly, there are tons and tons and tons of scriptures that talk to us about controlling our tongues. And so the first one we're going to look at is James 3.2 that says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect, and we could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, that might mean a lot of things, but I think one of the main things that it means is this is one of the hardest things to get under control. If you can master controlling your tongue, you can master controlling yourself in lots of different ways because it is one of the hardest things to do. And so we're going to look at this today. What does it mean to control our tongue, and why is it important? You know, one of the main reasons it's important is I want you to think about something in your life that really meant a lot to you. Maybe sometime that someone said something to you, it was an encouraging thought, a positive word, they said something to you and it really meant a lot. Can you think of one thing that really made a difference in your life? That Can anybody, anybody want to share something that comes to mind? Somebody said something to you that just was kind of a game changer. I remember I had a college professor that um, I was always into music. I That was kind of my thing. I hadn't I'd never written anything really, and I wrote a paper, and he actually worked for the school newspaper, and I wrote a paper, it was a music and business class, and I wrote a paper, and he came to me, and he said, have you, have you ever thought about writing? And I was like, no, I'm a singer, I don't write, and he was like, nope, your paper, I really like the way you write, you should think about, you should think about writing, and it was the first time anyone had ever said anything about that, it was not at all in my scope, but yet it kind of, the seed kind of poked back and now I look and think oh my 
goodness, he saw something in me that I had never really even seen in myself other than writing songs and poems, which my parents would always put on the wall, but never thought about writing like in that way. And so to me, that was a game changer. Anybody else have something you can think of? Somebody that said something to you that was positive? Oh, we should go around and see. None of you have anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can just move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I want you to think of something someone said to you that was negative. Now this probably would be a lot of, yeah, I won't make you share. <laughs> because I'm sure it's much easier for you to think, of one, of two, of three, of 25, of 35, of a million things that were said. And it could be in passing. It could be something if you ever went back to that person and said, do you remember when you said this about, you know, the pants I was wearing when I was in fourth grade and how they made my butt look? They would be like, no. But you can remember every detail. You can remember how you felt when it was said. You can remember um, from that moment on how you looked at pants differently <laughs> every time, right? Words have power. They have power. And that is why I think the Bible spends so much time talking to us about controlling our tongues because it's not just words thrown out there. They have power. They stick with us. They get in our hearts, and you can't take them back. Now, you can apologize, and you can try and make amends, but that takes time to heal those wounds. It, those wounds go out, and they're out there. You can't take it back once it's said. And our relationships are built on words. They're built on the things that we say to one another. The strength of our marriages is in how we're talking to each other and whether or not we're talking at all or whether or not our words are kind and building up and communicating. Our relationship with our kids, it's built on what are, what am I saying to them? What are they saying to me? Our relationships, these are the building blocks. Words are the building blocks of our lives. They shape everything about us. And our lives are as healthy as the words we are saying to each other each and every day. That's a really good barometer to look at. Um, I've heard, I've said it years and years and years and years. Um, look at yourself as the barometer for your home. As the mother, you're going to set the temperature. Is it cold? Is it hot? <laughs> Temper's flaring? Is the temperature cold and icy? Be a barometer. And we can look at the words and the, the way that our relationships are going as a really good indicator as to the health of our relationships as looking at our words. So I have been so challenged and continue to be challenged to look at the words coming out of my mouth. Are they positive? Are they encouraging? Are they critical? Are they words that are building up or are they words that are tearing down? There's a proverb that says a wise woman builds her house. A foolish one is constantly tearing it down. So we want to look at the words that we are saying because they are important. Proverbs 13.3 says, Those who control their tongue will have a long life, but opening your mouth can ruin everything. <laughs> Just... No ins, ands, or buts about it, right? Opening your mouth, it can ruin everything. And this is one of the biggest verses, James 1.26. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. That is a, that's one of those gut verses that you think, hey, if you think you've got it all together, and you think that you're religious, and yet you don't have rain on the words coming out of your mouth, he even says it, you're fooling yourself. This faith that you have has not taken root if you are unable to control the words coming out of your mouth. So, we're going to look at just a few different things when I began to kind of talk about what does it mean to control our tongues? What does it mean to practice self-control? What are some of the areas that we find ourselves stumbling when it comes to our tongues? And so the first one today is nagging. <laughs> okay, there is a wonderful Proverbs that says, Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Yes. Does anyone have that, like, crocheted on a plaque in there? I think we should. I think we should make a nice cross-stitch of that and put it somewhere. Now, so I began to do some studying on that word because, I don't know about you, when I think of nagging, I think of, like, pick up your underwear, pick up your underwear, stop, pick up your socks, pick up your sock, right? You think of just, like, that perpetual, constant, like, reminder. But that's actually... Do your homework. Do your homework. Yes, it's like that, uh, like on repeat. Like I could just put my voice recorder on and just play it. Just do it again. Do it again. It's it's, but that's not necessarily what nagging means. The definition of nagging, is continual complaining or fault finding. 
Isn't that a good definition? So fault finding, nagging is continually looking for faults and pointing them out. It's the constant, you didn't do that right. This isn't the right way. That doesn't go there. This isn't the right thing. Why did you do it this way? Why didn't you do it that way? I don't like it that. It's that constant fault finding, that negative, always seeing the worst, not the best. Um, Nagging is the continual and constant voicing of the fact that people aren't doing things to your liking. (laughs) It's saying, I don't like things done that way. Now, I may never nag, but some of you might have this trait. I'm just kidding. Of course I do. And I was thinking about, uh, it's funny because my mom's here, Um, when Jeff and I first got married and he would fold the towels and he folded the towels wrong every time. So he would fold them, you know, and God bless him for, you know, trying to help out, but he would fold the towels and then I was constantly like, you're doing it wrong. That's not how you fold the towels. You're folding the towels wrong. You're folding your towels wrong. And it was like after years, I was just like, why can you not fold the towels right? And I remember one day talking to my mom and saying, oh, I'm so frustrated. I mean, it's so nice. he folds the towels wrong. And she looked at me and she goes, what do you mean wrong? And I'm like, well, you always folded them this way. And she's like, well, because the house we lived in when you were growing up had a really narrow cupboard. And so I had to fold the towels that way for them to fit. I don't fold them that way anymore. And I was kind of like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see. It's that story about the the um, the the lady who, whenever she got a pot roast, this is an old story. Maybe you heard it. Whenever she got a pot roast, she'd cut off the ends of the pot roast and then put it in the oven. And so finally, one day, she went to her her mom. She said, "Mom, why? Can you tell me why we cut the ends off the pot roast?" She's like, "Well, I only had a small pan, <laughs> so that's why I always cut the ends off." But she grew up thinking that's the right way, right? And so for some of us, we get in our heads of like, this is the right way. And unfortunately, when we get married, we merge someone else's upbringing and our own upbringing, and we put them all together in one house. I don't know why we all think this is a good idea. We all move in together, and we begin establishing these routines. And for a lot of us, there are things that our spouses do or even that our kids do that are not the way that we would do them, and we can just become so critical, and we can get so worked up because it's not the right way. And Sometimes it can get, um, now it's not, that's not, I'm not talking about instruction. I'm not talking about making sure your kids do what you've asked them to do. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about setting up systems in your home that work well for your home. That's not what I'm talking about. Nagging is different than discipline, right? Um, Nagging comes out of, you're annoying me because you're not doing it my way. My way is the right way and you're not doing it that way. Nagging is rooted in control. Nagging is rooted in pride. Um, My way is the right way. You need to do things my way. And I need everyone else to do and think the same way that I do. That's where nagging comes out of. So if you find yourself with a my way or the highway attitude, then you might want to look at nagging as something. So think of how you are approaching things when someone in your house is doing something maybe that you wouldn't do. Um, Are you constantly pointing out Fault find. And I can get into a habit of this with my kids because they've gotten to the point where they've an, are annoying me, <laughs> where I'll walk in, I told you to pick up your, well, that's not right, you didn't do that, didn't do that. And again, there's instructional ways to show them that, and then there's just like, that's not right, that's not right either, that's not right, that's not right. There's just a difference, and I can tell in my own attitude when I have switched from instructing and disciplining to nagging. And so that is one way that we can learn to control our tongue. See, I'm starting with a nice easy one. Just slide it on there. So number two is criticism. And we're going to cover a few things under criticism. So the definition of criticism is disapproval expressed by pointing out faults or shortcomings. Criticism is just simply looking for ways in which you can put other people down. Um, I think sometimes we don't even realize we're being critical of other people. We kind of live in this day and age where everybody has opinions about everything and everybody's voicing their opinions, and it can become really easy to get to the point where we are just simply pointing out faults, pointing out how someone else is wrong, pointing out all of these things. We um, we have just a very interesting um, way that society has gone by when someone in, when Mark Zuckerberg invented the comment <laughs> right when he invented the comment man we all just became so uh, wise in our own eyes right because we 
someone could share something, but now I have a right to voice my opinion about what you share. And again, that's not talking within relationship and healthy, respectful. That doesn't mean that we don't have opinions, but we have to be careful in not becoming people who are critical, who are always pointing out how other people do things wrong, because you know what? That is exhausting for all of us. And I have to admit, I've been doing a lot of soul searching in the last few years because I was always kind of a really, you know, confident younger person. The last few years, I found myself becoming a little more timid, Um, a little more timid, a little more fearful of sharing my opinion, a little more like I might think I'm never going to speak up. I'm going to and and I was trying to figure out why that is. And I think it's because this culture of criticism, it's just it's I feel like it's not worth it because of the hammering I'm going to take. <laughs> and I don't think that that's wise either because we should be able to s- share our opinions and to speak up for things that we care about, even if we know that other people will disagree with us without the fear of, it's so far beyond someone just having a differing opinion. It's the hammer and the bullying of, of uh, um, that comes with that. And so that is only going to change if we all determine to not be those kind of people and to be respectful and not critical. So it's really, really important. We can uh, get so critical of things. And I want to talk for a moment today about judging. So that's part of what is in here because this is a really, I have always found judging a very difficult word to define in Christian circles because on one hand, um, the Bible tells us, and it's right there in Matthew 7, 1 through 2, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So I've always been confused as to what really is judging somebody because sometimes you can have people just say, oh, they're just being judgmental, they're judging me. And then you think, well, I don't really know. What does that mean? I think it's thrown around a lot. And so the definition of judging is a formal utterance of an authoritative opinion. It's an opinion so pronounced um, to decide upon critically. So it means a judgment is forming an opinion about someone in which you look down on them. Okay, so judgment is always accompanied by this feeling of superiority of I am better than you or I have decided you are this, you are this, I have decided you are this. It's a making a decision about someone's intentions and character based on, on something that you have no way of knowing. And so the Bible is clear that we're not to judge others. But where I get stuck and what's nervous is the, uh, not nervous, but what's difficult is the Bible also says that we will know people by their fruit, right? That we see fruit and we know it. So um, I have I have a friend who, over the last few years, started you know posting pictures of herself that were really outside of the character of who I had known her to be. And so, in concern, reaching out, saying, "Are you okay? Like, what's going on? I'm seeing some things that don't seem like who I know you." And her response was, "Stop judging me." And so I was thinking. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> like, this is difficult. And this, this kind of definition has helped me to be able to, because I'm not saying that there aren't times that I'm not judging someone and thinking, wow, how dare they do that? And yet, what's the difference between looking at fruit and going, okay, there's fruit here that I'm just not sure about, because the Bible tells us to do that, and then judging people. And it's this line of this feeling of superiority, this feeling of I am better than you, and you are that, and I will never. It's the superiority part that will get us in trouble. Now, that has helped me because there are times that you will be accused of judging, and you're not. And there will be times you're accused of judging, and you are. (laughs) And so it's good to keep that definition in your heart so that you can look and say, okay, am am I looking down? On that person, am I coming at this from a, peri- um, a position of, a th- of superiority, like, how dare you do that? Or am I simply looking at the fruit and saying, okay, I have a concern. And so there's a humility that comes when you are in concerned about somebody that will keep judgment from setting in. And so that's why I think we have to be so wise in those things. Um, my, f- my daughter has a friend, and she always wants to go have sleepovers at this friend's house. And Jeff and I just don't know the family that well. And in just seeing some of the things 
that we have seen and just from side observations made the decision, there are some things about that that make us feel uncomfortable about you spending the night there. Okay, so that's part of our job as mothers, right? To say, we look at fruit and we make decisions. However, everything in me keeps going, am I being judgmental? Am I judging them? And I have to, again, come back to, no, I'm not, I'm not thinking I'm better than them. I'm not thinking I would never. I am not thinking ill of them. And really, the Lord began to move on my heart. How often are you praying that whatever fruit you're seeing will go away, that God will come and bring change about. That, that to me is a huge indicator of whether or not I'm judging somebody or not, because judging usually is like, how dare you? You are this. Where humility um, and looking at fruit tends to come with, okay, I'm seeing some things that concern me, and so Lord, I just pray I know that I am not perfect. I ask that you would come and that you would help this family. I ask that whatever, if there's something going on there, I don't, I'm not going to assume that I know, but I pray that whatever's going on, that you would begin to, to work that out. So again, it's one of those difficult things, right, as, that we find. But again, that is a really good, for me, a line of, am I looking down on somebody and am I having a feeling of superiority when I think about that person? That is judgment. So people, we are all sinners. We all need Jesus. Our response must be prayerful. Um, but we also can, we're not blind. We can see fruit. Um, Matthew 7, 1, and I think this is the message version. It says, don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, well, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again. So uh, playing holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face that you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. That girlfriend that I talked about after our first conversation of, your, you know, because she had, she says, well, everybody's calling me. Everybody's judging me. And I said, well, maybe everybody's worried. And yet being able to come and so I continue to say, okay, let's talk through this. I'm not judging you. I just want, I just am concerned. My continued response to her helped open a door that we could have some good conversation about what's really going on. And so sometimes you're going to have to wade through that a little bit and, and continue in humility um, because c people can smell right away when you're coming at them with a superiority. Now, defensiveness will kick in too, but you have to be willing to wade in a little bit through that. So here is your training tip. So there's a little training tip after each one of those things. Uh, I missed the one. Um, the training tip last for um, nagging is this week when someone is doing something and it isn't the way you would normally do it or the way you want it done, stop before you say something and just let it be. Oh, this will be fun. <laughs> so when, when the towels are not folded right, you just let, just let it ride. <laughs> just let it go. Um, but your training tip for criticism is when you find yourself looking at the way someone is doing something and you are about to say something critical, stop yourself and instead say something positive about that person or situation. Just a really good, in that moment, to catch yourself, okay, I'm going to stop myself and say something positive instead of saying something critical. So those nagging criticism. Another way we can control our tongues is number three, gossip and slander. So this is a big one, right? Um, and again, sometimes we hear these words thrown out. So I'm going to give us some definitions so that we have some working definitions to go through. So what is gossip? Gossip is the habitual revealing of personal or sensational facts. So it's revealing personal or sensational facts. Um, here is a good definition. A go gossip is a story that's true that could damage a person's character. Now, slander is something that's false. It's a false charge or misrepresentation which can defame or damage another's reputation. So again, you hear gossip and slander all the time. What's the definition? 
Gossip is something that's true that is going to change someone else's opinion about that. Slander is something that is untrue. So that's good for me to get in my mind because sometimes we can go, it's true. I'm just saying, I'm not lying. Like I'm saying something that's true. These are just the facts of what's going on. And yet gossip is a true statement, but it's something that's going to harm a person's reputation or make others think less of them. And so that's, that's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. I was thinking today about the story of uh, Noah in Genesis chapter 9. So we all know the, the good story about Noah and the ark and all of that. But there's a story right at the end of Genesis 9 about Noah. After the floods have receded and now him and his sons are living on the dry land and everybody else has disappeared. There's a story in Genesis 9 that Noah gets crazy drunk and falls asleep naked in his tent and is drunk and exposed to the world. This is all in the Bible. I am not making this up. And there is a story that he had three sons. His sons were Shem, Hem, and Japheth. And it says that Ham walked in and saw his dad lying there exposed, and he walked out and told his brothers. And the brothers walked into the tent backwards so that they couldn't see, and they covered their father and left. And this situation, there was a blessing put on those two brothers, and there was a curse put on Ham because he saw his father in that moment, and he went and he told, where his brothers sought to not bring any more shame to their father, and they covered him. It's a really great story. Now, this is not about covering up things that should be covered up, okay? Let's just not even go there. But how many times do we know we have a moment when someone that we love or someone that we don't even know has stumbled? We have a moment where we're either going to cover them and protect them from more shame and embarrassment or whether we're going to go and we're going to tell somebody else about it. And I think of that often because those two boys were blessed because they covered up their father's shame. They covered up something that was embarrassing. Now, that doesn't, again, hear me well. I'm not talking about covering up things that need to be exposed. <laughs> I don't like saying exposed in the context of this story. <laughs> Boys are weird. <laughs> but what I'm saying <laughs> is you know what I'm talking about. When there's that moment where you can help. You know, we all screw up. And it's embarrassing when you make a mistake and when you screw up. And you know what? I have always um, wanted my home to be is a place that we're going to cover you and we're going to love you and we're not going to shame you anymore. And we're going to say we all make mistakes, but we're not going to make more public your mistake than it needs to be. And for some of us, the very best way that we can become lights in our world is by how we treat people when they have royally screwed up and we have a moment where we can either say I got you I got you or whether we they they think they're probably out telling everybody this is going to be around the neighborhood this is going to be around school it's going to be around church um, when we choose to cover people that is one of the most gracious ways that we love them and that's why slander and gossip is so detrimental because that feeling I was talking about, that fear of people exposing us and everybody's just watching out for us to make a mistake so they can jump on it. When people know that we are safe and that we are for them and that we will be a safe place for them, man, that, is that a loving feeling? Is that a loving feeling that I know that they've got my back and they won't expose me to more than they need to? So a couple things about gossip. Why do we gossip? Uh, number one reason is pride. Um, we kind of like to rank ourselves sometimes, right? Well, I might not be great, but I am better than that, <laughs> right? We, we kind of makes us feel a little better if we can, like, put ourselves in rank. Um, when we're tempted to, we can be tempted to judge others because we want to be sometimes the one that knows everything, that, that has the information. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5 says, But what about me? Have I been faithful? It matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that's not what matters. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone was faithful. 
When the Lord comes, he will bring our deepest secrets to light, and he will reveal our private motives. And then God will give to everyone whatever praises due. We don't get to be the ones that decide. God is the one that knows people's hearts. So we can have just a pride of wanting to kind of be higher in rank. Another reason we gossip, and I think this is probably the biggest one, is that we don't know how to handle conflict properly, right? So what happens when you have a conflict with somebody? First thing, you're just like dying inside and everything's bubbling up and you're just so upset and you just need to talk about it. And so you call your sister or you call your mom or you call your friend, whichever one you, you, know, you know is going to handle it the best. <laughs> and you call and you, you talk to them about it, and then you talk to your husband about it, and then you talk to so-and-so about it. And the Bible is very clear about what we're supposed to do if we have a conflict. Matthew 18, 15 says, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them and work it out between the two of you. So, so many of us, and there's other scriptures. Um, there's also Matthew 5, 23 that says, if you have something against your brother, go and and talk to that person, be reconciled to them, and then come back to church and offer your sacrifices to God. But for so many of us, the idea of having a conversation, and I hate conflict. Oh, I just want to crawl. I would rather, like, I would do anything to avoid, <laughs> avoid it in any sense. But for, yes, it's horrible. And so what happens, though, is we start gossiping instead. Because we need to process it, and so we talk to other people about it. And so by the time we actually, and we're not solving anything, somehow we think that if I keep talking about it, I'm going to feel differently about it, or somehow I'm going to, someone's going to affirm, yes, you have a right to be upset by that. But really, good conflict management means you talk to the person that you are upset with. You just go right to them. So I want you to think in your mind, don't raise your hand. When was the last time you had a conflict with someone and you immediately went right to them and talked to them about it? Mine would be very few. Very few. And so I think for a lot of us, one of the ways that we can begin to control our tongues better is by following this principle of just, oh, I'm going to put on my big girl panties and I'm going to call that person and we're going to have a conversation about this. And you know what the truth is? The times that I have done this, I always feel better afterwards. I don't know what I'm so afraid of. I think it's the looming, like, what if this conversation just goes so horribly? Well, for the most part, usually when you talk to somebody, you get some kind of understanding. You might not even agree, but you're going to feel better. So I don't know why we're so afraid of that. And yet, if we could just put that into practice, it would be so important. Sometimes I think we think, well, if I just let off steam, it'll go away. I just need to just talk about how, how this has bothered me. And sometimes that, sometimes that is right, but you have to be careful you know, that you're on your 25th person letting off steam, <laughs> any day now, it's all going to go away because now I've shared it again, right? Um, I was reading this verse in Proverbs 26 a while ago, fire goes out for lack of fuel and a quarrel disappears when gossip stops. So when you let it go, when you either talk to that person or really let it go and stop talking about it, that's when it's going to start to go away. But I've been challenged on this so many times of, I'll be looking ahead to something and nervous about it. And so everybody I talk to, I'm like, I'm just really nervous. I just, you know, this, this some, sometimes it's difficult or I, this person is really hard to work with. And, um, you know, you can on and on and on and on. And after a while, I'm like, I'm going to make this thing true. The amount of times that I state how, how difficult it's going to be and whatever. You know, let it go. Stop talking about it. A few years ago, there's a bunch of conflict within some friends of mine, and I decided, I had this word drop into my heart one morning, I'm going to be the graveyard, that if anybody comes to me and is like, hey, this, 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 it was just going to die there, like, and there was a few times that someone, people would come to me, and I would be like, that's a juicy one. Like somebody said something to me, I could just, oh, I imagine when this person is going to, and even it could, even I even decided, I'm not even going to tell Jeff some of this stuff, because usually it's like, ooh, he's my, like, because he's not going to, he's kind of a vault anyway. And so I just decided it's going to die here, de dead and buried. If it comes to me, if somebody says something, it's just going to be done. It's just going to be dead and buried. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to rehash it. I'm not going to tell somebody else. This is just a great way. And so for me, that was a good mental picture for me of like, okay, so great. You got another juicy piece. Put it in the ground. Bury it. Let it die there. Just let it be the graveyard. So that was kind of a mental thing that helped me. 
Um, sometimes we gossip because we want to feel significant. We want to feel like we know things. I love to be the first person to tell anybody any information. It's like makes me so happy of like, oh, you didn't know. Let me tell you, you know, Brooke and Stephen found a house. I'm gonna tell you, I want to be the first to tell you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I love to tell news. I love it. I could be a, like one of those guys of old. Hear ye, hear ye. I, I love that. And so sometimes we have to be careful because we want to be the one that shares. And so sometimes we share things we shouldn't share just because we want to be in the norm. And the last thing, I think this is a huge one, is entertainment. I think sometimes we don't have anything interesting to talk about. And so immediately our conversation goes to talking about other people. And too much idle talking, I think, eventually can lead us to talking about others. Um, you know, sometimes you're on a phone call or having a conversation with somebody and you're talking and everything's good and you're talking about work and you're talking about things and then pretty soon there's always that moment in the lull in the conversation and you're like, I probably should just hang up. And if you stay too long, pretty soon, oh, did you hear about that or them or this? And so I think sometimes it's just... Entertainment might seem like a funny word, but we just don't know what else to talk about. And so um, I think that we have to be wise in that. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So be careful. Just be careful. Catch yourself in the moment when you might be thinking, ah, it's probably time to just end this conversation because if it keeps going, it's probably going to go somewhere it shouldn't. So here's a training tip for you. Now, this is a good one. If you catch yourself gossiping, don't let yourself get away with it. Stop right then and apologize to that person with whom you shared the information. I promise you, if you do this three times, you'll... Because <laughs> I've done it. Like, oh, hold on. You know what? I shouldn't have said that. That was gossip. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have shared that information with you. And <laughs> the other person is usually like... Okay. And then the next time you're getting ready to share something and everything's like, oh, just say it. It's no big deal. Well, no, I've made it a big deal now and I don't ever want to do that again because it's super embarrassing. So this is actually a really good training tip. So if you catch yourself sharing something, just stop. Don't let yourself get away with it. Give yourself a slap on the hand and make yourself apologize and you'll think twice next time you do it. Okay. So how do we tame our tongues? Number one, Start with the mind. We talked about that last week. We talked about um, how our minds, you know, we can think so many negative things and eventually they will come out. So rather than thinking negative things about others, we need to think of ways that we can build them up. We need to be, uh, stop thinking those things. Uh, Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. So think about good things. If we're thinking critical, negative ugly things about other people, don't be surprised when it comes out of your mouth. So start there. Um, I was thinking actually this morning about the story in Luke chapter 18, pull it up, about the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's a great story. Um, let me read it to you. Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. Then Jesus told the story of someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. So that was his prayer. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love getting into, we get little glimpse into the mind of these two people. And one thought very highly of himself, which made it easy for him to be critical of others. He thought, I'm doing all the right things. I would never do that. When we talk about judgment, thank you, God, that I'm not like that person. That is like the definition of a judgment in his mind. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. I do all the right things. And in his mind, he had elevated himself to the point where he, he had it all together. And he even pointed to someone who didn't have it all together. 
and it came out in his prayer. It came out even in the, in the way that he talked because that is what he was thinking in his mind. And yet we look at the tax collector that had this humility of saying, I know, I know I'm a mess. I know I don't have it all together. Thank you, God, that you love me anyway. We see into the minds of these two people. And so it's this, this controlling our tongue. It begins really in the way that you're thinking. If you have a superiority thinking process, it's going to eventually come out in a critical, negative, gossipy spirit. But if you have humility growing in you, and if you understand your need for a Savior, if you understand you are broken without God, then we have so much more compassion for other people and where they're at. So it starts in our minds. It starts in how we're thinking. So change the way you think. Ask yourself. There's a list in the book. Are my words going to edify? Are my words kind? Have I used these words? Don't tell anyone else but then you probably shouldn't say it if you've had to preface with that. Is it true? Do I have first-hand knowledge? I will never forget um, talking to a spiritual mentor a few years ago, and I was upset about something that somebody had said to somebody else. And which are I like, I'm so upset. So-and-so said that to so-and-so, and I heard it, and then it was about me. And she looked at me, and she, she was a very nice lady. She just got in my face. What are you doing getting upset about something that you have heard third person? Were you in the room? Did you hear it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and now you're yelling at me. <laughs> if you didn't, if you weren't in the room, you should not even be going through your mind. You were not there. You don't know what people are actually saying. And she came down really hard on me and I was surprised. But the truth is, how many times are we upset about things that we have heard like trail of four, four down the line? Okay, we don't know anything accurate about how that got there. I mean, we've all played telephone. We all know how that goes. So are you are you sharing information you have heard first person? Were you in the room? Or are you sharing something that you heard from you heard from you heard? Don't do it. It's not good. It's not helpful. Are you angry? Are you speaking out of anger or emotion at the moment? If that's the case, just take a step back and wait until you can speak your words with a little more clarity. Are your words helpful? Are they going to help? Are you simply looking for someone to support your side? Are you really looking for advice? Are you, if you're really, truly seeking counsel, are you speaking with someone you can trust? We all know exactly who we should call and who we shouldn't call in a particular moment. You know you have the friend that when you're super annoyed with your husband, you know you have the one that you can call who will be like, oh my gosh, what a jerk. You should totally be mad. Or the one who is going to go, Yes, that would be frustrating, but remember when he did this and remember when he did that. Now, usually the one I call depends on really how ticked off I am in that moment. But we all know the, the person that we can call that is going to give us wise counsel. If you really, you know, like we said, sometimes you do need to let off steam and get your head around what you're thinking. Are you calling the right person who is going to give you wise counsel? Or are you calling the person that you know will just help you chitter-chatter, chitter-chatter about it. That's, that's a big part in practicing self-control of calling the right person in the right moment. Will they give you godly counsel or are they just going to add fuel to the fire? So here is a training tip for you. As you go through your day, when your thoughts start to wander towards gossip or criticism, rein them in by thinking something positive about that person or situation instead. So number one is to control your mind. Number two, stop talking. <laughs> It's profound, point number two. Just stop talking. Um, this, I pray this, actually, giving you a little insight. Every time I get up to speak and someone puts a microphone in my hand, I pray, I pray, Lord, put a seal over my lips because I have said so many stupid things and things later that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I told everybody that. So I always pray, put a seal over my lips. Help me not to say something that I shouldn't say. It works most of the time. Um, but sometimes we just need to commit to putting a seal on our lips. Don't say things. Don't s just stop talking. Just stop. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter will separate the best of friends. Sometimes we just have to stop talking. Think before you speak. There's another verse there. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Ask him. There's tons of scriptures that I have here. Um, it's foolish to belittle a neighbor, and a person with good sense remains silent. Or Ephesians 5:17. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try and understand what the Lord wants you to do. Just sometimes you just have to stop. You just have to close your mouth and just, what did we do when we were kids? Like, put the lock 
on it, like, and then throw the key over the shoulder, right? Um, be, be willing to stop another person from leading you into gossip. Now, here's your training tip for this, and this is actually, <laughs> I've actually used this a lot. I have in the back of my mind certain um, strategies that I will say to get me out of a situation where someone's trying to lead me into gossip. I will say, um, and, and I sometimes go into my mind of thinking, okay, what could I say? And I've done this with my kids of what are you going to say in that moment? Because sometimes we get in that moment and we're kind of like, Ugh, I'm not really sure what I should say. So have some strategies. For instance, if someone's talking about someone, you could say, oh, I think she's a really nice person. You say a compliment about the person instead or change the subject. Um, just be quick to just move on to something else or just don't say anything else back. Um, sometimes if people say something and then you're just quiet, it's awkward for a minute and yet it will stop it. Now, what are your ideas? How do you get out of situations where people are talking about other people? Do you have any little tips that you've used? You walk away. Okay, that's a good one. Anybody else? I just get down on my knees and start praying. <laughs> they all just know how offended. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Any other tips? What do you tell your kids to do if they're in a situation like that? Right. Right. Yeah, and that's usually, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yep, I've heard that. Yeah, that's a good one. Anybody else? Okay, well, that's just, if you come up with any more little strategies, tell me. Tell me. Okay, and then number three, plan ahead. So this comes back to that idea of sometimes our unkind words or gossip or everything just comes because we are sitting around and we just aren't sure what to talk about. We don't have anything else to talk about, and so we just start talking about other people. So plan ahead. Plan ahead. If you're going to coffee with a friend and you know that it tends to dive into, it's eventually, ah, it's going to veer over into so-and-so and that and that. Um, plan ahead. Think about, okay, what are some things that I can talk about? And sometimes I just have to do that. I just have to think ahead. Um, what, what are the things that God is doing in your life? What are the things that you are doing? What are you reading? Where are you, you know, have, read an article to have a conversation about something benign that's not about another person. Like, think ahead to some other things that you can talk about. Um, think about your hobbies. Think about other things like that. Sometimes it's just wise to have enough things in your arsenal to fill the time in which you know you're going to have to have a conversation because eventually I just know from experience you know those last 20 minutes can just <laughs> take you take you sideways and then and then you ruin what was a really great conversation because you get in the car and what do you feel regret you feel regret because you think oh man it started out so great why did we have to end up talking about that frustrating thing or that you know whatever um so I started to tell you this quote last week, and I saved it because it's one of my favorite quotes. And it's from an un unknown author, but it says, simple people talk about other people. Average people talk about things, but wise people talk about ideas. Isn't that great? Simple people talk about other people. That's like the bottom rung conversation. Average people talk about things, but wise people talk about ideas. Talk about ideas. Let's just raise the bar for what our conversations look like. Let's talk about fun things. Let's dream and spur each other on to great things. Um, so your training tip is time your phone conversations. Not, not that I have a lot of phone conversations anymore. Um, and cut them off before gossip begins. When you feel that moment come where you don't really have anything else to say and you can sense that you're both starting to head towards dangerous waters, simply have the courage to end the conversation. Proverbs 20:19 says, A gossip tells secrets, so don't hang around with someone who talks too much. Um, it really boils down to this. At the end of the day, we have to take responsibility for our words. We just can't be like, ah, they just keep popping out, ah, you know. No, we have to practice self-control when it comes to our mouths. We have to practice self-control. When the Holy Spirit says, when you have that feeling in you, to stop, don't say that. We have to honor that and listen. And if you get into that moment and you feel like you don't have the strength, again, 
we're always going to come back to our first lesson. The, you have a spiritual problem with a spiritual solution. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm going to this conversation. This person, I love her, and I have a really hard time standing up when we, the conversation goes this way. Or, Lord, I'm having a really hard time not responding in kind when this person is aggressive towards me. Or, Lord, help me to not be critical of this person. Or, Lord, help me to not be nagging to my family. I don't. I keep thinking I can hold it in, and yet it keeps popping out. I need your strength. And that is why it's so amazing that the Holy Spirit comes and it says in the Bible, he is our power. It is the power to not just have good intentions, but it's the power to actually follow through and do it. So when you're having a moment where you're feeling like, whoop, they're coming, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, just stop and say, Holy Spirit, more of you, less of me. Come and give me the power to make the right choice in this moment. Psalm 1914 says, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. So you can ask yourself that question, Lord, are the words of my mouth pleasing to you? Are they, are they encouraging? Are they supportive? Or, Father, do, do I need to practice self-control? One last scripture, and then we're done. Ephesians 4.29, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear him. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, man, do we need your help with this issue. Lord, it's so, so easy for us to just let our words come out without any thought. Um, sometimes they just seem to go faster than we can rein them in. But, Lord, we, we know from your word that um, you want us to have control over our, our mouths and our tongues. And you even said, if we think that we're religious, if we think that we are following you, and yet we don't have a handle on our tongues, we are fooling ourselves. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us. Give us wisdom in this area, Lord. I pray that when your Holy Spirit quickens our heart to stop talking and to not say that thing or to not be critical or to refrain from saying that, Lord, that we would have the wisdom and the power to follow through with that. Lord, we want to be people of encouragement, people of grace. We don't want to have a critical spirit. We don't want our homes to be places where harsh words are spoken and people feel like they can never live up and we are always um, being put down. Lord, we just we want to have encouraging words come out of our mouths. So, Father, give us wisdom in this. I pray that you help each one of us this week to walk this out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.